Good morning. Glad you could join us here at All Union for our worship service this morning. If you would please do us a favor, on the outside of each pew should be an attendance pad. And if you would take that out and sign your name in it and pass along. And then when it comes back, kind of pay attention to the names of those in the pew with you that you'll be greeting here pretty soon. We would appreciate that. If you're with us for the first time, it's our privilege to have you here. We would ask you to allow us to give you some more information about our church. You'll get a packet of information that tells you more about the ministries here at Alden Union. There's a card in this packet we ask you to fill out here fairly soon, then later in the service, put it in the offering plate so we can acknowledge a visit by letter. So if it's your first time with us, Pastor Ed's going to be coming up the center aisle. Just keep your hand up and keep it up till he sees you, and he'll give you that packet of information. Uh, you'll notice from the flags hanging around, there's something coming up here in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Anybody figure that out? Some of you didn't even know there were flags. You didn't even look up. Missionary conference is coming up in a couple of weeks, and you have a number of announcements in your bulletin dealing with that. One that you don't have yet, because you haven't gotten the missionary conference mailing, has to do with Sunday, March 9th, the first Sunday of missionary conference. Some of you will remember, but uh, that first Sunday, we have a combined service. So change your calendar on March 9th for a combined service. Starts at 930 goes generally to about 11.15. There's no Bible school that morning. We combine everything together at once to focus on our missionaries and missions. That's also time change Sunday. You lose an hour that week, so it helps you a little bit in that way. But uh, please note that in two weeks, March 9th. You're writing that down right now so you don't show up at 11 and miss it, that you show up at 9.30 that morning. Secondly, some of our children have done posters for the missionary conference and you could really encourage them if you'd go look at them. They're down the hallway by the nursery on the wall. And so kind of check them out. They've kind of given a little advertisement for our missionary conference. And uh, if you see their names on there and see some of our kids, encourage them what a good job they did in doing some things to promote our missionary conference to us. You'll also notice from your bulletin we're still looking for housing and meals for some of our missionaries and sign-ups for the Taste of the World dinner on that Friday night. And so you have to sign up for that. So don't ignore these announcements you're getting in the bulletin so you don't miss something that you'll want to take care of when the missionary conference comes up. Also, just a reminder for the afternoon, uh, our high school students are on their winter retreat this weekend. Uh, they should have had their time of worship this morning. They'll be coming back this afternoon after a few things. So you want to pray for them for safety. Uh, but pray the Lord keeps working. Uh, Pastor Rich emailed me last night and told me one girl had already accepted Christ last night from the group that had gone. So this has an impact on them spiritually and a big impact on this one girl accepting Christ. So pray for them throughout the rest of this day and as they come back. The verse at your top of order of worship in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, the last phrase is something to concentrate on this morning, especially as you're preparing your heart for worship. It says, overflowing with thankfulness. Can you take a few moments silently to spend some time being thankful to God? for all that he's done for you. So take a few moments silently doing that, if you would. Father, I trust each of us wants to come as thankful people this morning. 
thankful for your salvation, thankful for your grace, thankful for bringing us here and allowing us to worship you together, thankful for a God who pays attention to every detail of our lives and gives us so many things to praise you and thank you for. May our worship this morning come out of hearts that are thankful, that will praise you. May you focus our hearts and our minds on the truths about you from your word so that we can continue to worship you and praise you in a way that's right for you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. nice people to greet this morning, so spend a few moments doing that. Let's all stand, let's sing together.
seated, but please keep out your hymnals. If you'll turn your hymnals to the back to number 674, we'll do a responsive reading entitled Dedicated Service. I'll read the uh, print that's not bold. If you'll read the print that's in bold, then we'll read through it together. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Worship. For the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Never flag in zeal, be aglow with the Spirit, serve the Lord. Contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Repay no evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. I hope you held on to those hymnals. If you would open up to hymn number 511, I'm going to ask that we remain seated as we sing, Now I Belong to Jesus, 511.
You talk about your kingdom coming in this world. A kingdom without space or time. You talk about a people that will follow you. For your disciples you will pray. I love you so, my Jesus. My life is guided by your hand. This life that I've been Thank you, Janet. I couldn't help but uh, think of the last verse of the song we just sang as it reflects on that gal that accepted the Lord up at camp. Just listen to these words, and then we'll pray for her and the rest of the church. Joy floods my soul, for Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that I long enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong to him. Let's pray. Father, we want, to, we want to thank you for this precious gal who has come to know you up at camp. 
We pray, Lord, that she would grow and she would, incre- she would increase in her knowledge of who you are. And the joy would increase within her soul that you would guide and direct her in ways that she's never even understood could even be possible. And Father, we do belong to you. And I thank you for the song that Janice just sung. How, how gracious you've been to come into our life. It's because of you that we're even here today to worship you and glorify you for what you've given to us in our life, within your word, within your son, within eternity. And so, Father, we come before you with thanksgiving. We pray, Father, as Kevin shares with us a little bit later as he shares from your word, may your Holy Spirit prick our hearts as well, that we'd understand what you expect of us. And, Father, we also come before you, and we thank you, Lord, for what you've done within this church in many different ways. For those who serve so graciously during the Sunday school, teach our kids and teach the adults your ways according to your word. We thank you, Lord, for them. We pray, Father, for the needs that there are for vacancies, and we pray, Lord, you'd provide the leaders and the teachers that are needed throughout our congregation. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness you've given to us in so many different ways. We look around us. We see the flags of nations that you allow us to partner with missionaries to have an impact within this world. And as we come together in a very few weeks and honor the missionaries and understand what you've been doing within this world, we pray, Lord, you'll, there again, you would you'd make our hearts sensitive to their work. That you would give us a heart for those who don't know you across our world. And then, Father, we also want to pray for those who are within our church that are without work. And this coming Thursday, as the, as the Crossroads meets and as they deal with different topics and not only reach out to Christians but also non-believers. We pray, Lord, that your sense of peace and comfort would flow into their hearts, those who don't know you and, for that matter, those who do. Allow them to understand that you are still in control, even amidst their financial needs. We think, Father, the college students that are represented by Carolyn Tyler and Jordan uh, uh, Willen, we pray, Lord, for them as, uh, as they are in school. We pray that in college that you would use them First of all, you would be training them what it means to live a, a Christian life within the world. Give them opportunity to interact with those who don't know you. And may their light so shine that they would give glory to you, those who, don't, who, who haven't come to know you yet. We think, too, of those who are in the military, specifically of Caleb Halsey. As he's uh, in reserves with, with the Marines, we pray that you would allow him to continue to grow in his skills there as he has trained for working with, with um training in March. Be with him as he goes through that as he and his wife are going through the start of a business. Bless that endeavor as well. We thank you for all the military that gives so graciously from our church in order that we might be free. We pray for the leaders of our, of our congregation. Specifically, we think of the elders who will be having a meeting tomorrow and those who are coming on board will be issued new responsibilities. Be with the meeting tomorrow as they are interacting with, uh, with the affairs of our church as there's uh, nominees that are committed to the officers of this church, Father, we just pray that you would guide our leaders so that they would glorify you in every way. And, Father, we also want to think of the missionary, Patrick Black. She has some new, re- new responsibilities in translation. She has some new people she's reporting to. She has a children's ministry she'll be doing training for and some finances that are needed for that. Lord, we would pray that you'd supply all her needs according to your riches. And then, Father, we'd also pray for the offering that we'll be giving. We thank you, Lord, for how it's been used in times past, for this building, for, for ministry, for all that's going on. We pray that you'd use that, that which we give to glorify you in every way. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.
They learned that Thursday. We have a very talented choir, and I'm very blessed to work with them. At this time, if you please open up your hymnals to hymn number 64, and let's sing together, All Creatures of Our God and King, 64. Let's all stand, let's sing together. Yeah. 
Amen. You may be seated. If I ask most Christians what God expects of them, and you wouldn't give this answer, but most Christians would give this answer if they were being honest. They would probably say God expects too much of them. That the standards are too high, right? We see verses like the two on the screen, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 1 Peter 1, but just as he who call, has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And we look at these verses and we think that's impossible. Because we tend to focus on these verses, which are the end, the result of what God expects, rather than the expectations themselves. And because we think God expects too much, we tend not to evaluate how we're doing with God's expectations because we think there's no way. Is it possible to do what God expects of us? We're going to figure that out this morning. I'm going to use two verses, not these two. These two verses are fine. But at the top of your order of worship are two verses in Colossians, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. First thing I'm going to remind you is there's an assumption in the first part of this verse. It says, so so then, just as you received Christ Jesus, the first assumption is you have received Christ Jesus as Savior. That you received God's free gift of salvation. If you haven't, that's God's expectation for you this morning. That's the only expectation you have to worry about at this point. But the rest of us, if we have accepted Christ Jesus, we have some other expectations that God has for us. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Can we find these principles in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 anywhere else in Scripture? And we're going to try to find them in Romans 14 and 15 this morning. And I'll warn you ahead of time, Romans 14 and 15 contain a lot of stuff. Because they're about what some call Christian liberty or debatable things or disputable things. And so there's a lot of details in this about various decisions you can make, but we're not worried about the details this morning. We're worried about the principles behind those decisions. And in Romans 14 and 15, it's not talking about choosing sin, because we know we can't choose sin, but in other decisions we make, how do we meet God's expectations? That's the idea Romans 14 and 15 is talking about. How do I meet God's expectations in regular decisions I need to make? So some of the details in this chapter, as we read it, you're just going to have to uh, go back and study those yourself later. We're going to get to the principles. But in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, what's the first phrase? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Look at the first eight verses of Romans 14. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, and our first principle is, what does God expect? He expects us to submit to his ownership. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. That's the overriding principle of the first eight verses. Now, if I ask you, how many believe everything you have belongs to God? Be careful. Some of you aren't too sure. Or some of you are scared to put your hand up. In 1 Chronicles 29, when David was taking the offering for Solomon to build the temple, he believed that. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Then he says at the end, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Anybody wearing something borrowed this morning? A couple of you are shaking your hand. Have you ever borrowed anything from somebody? Ever borrowed somebody's car? Do we tend to think differently about something we borrow than we think about our own stuff? Now, some of you don't, which is why nobody will lend you anything. (laughs) But usually if we borrow something from somebody, somebody else owns it, we tend to take better care of it than we take care of maybe our own stuff that we're kind of used to, don't we? Submit to his ownership. By the way, what about your body? Does that belong to you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Does submitting to God's ownership also include me personally? The answer is yes. Look at verse 9 of Romans 14. After Paul says, we belong to the Lord for this very reason, because we belong to the Lord, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Everything we own, everything about us, is borrowed from God. And when you submit to his ownership, you think differently about what you do with your things, what you do with yourself, what you allow your body to do, what you allow your mind to look at, what you allow your eyes to see. Why? Because we're awfully careful with what we borrow. Is it a reasonable expectation for God to expect us to take care of what we borrow from him if he owns it? 
So what have you tried to keep ownership of that's not yours? Let's go back to our verse. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Notice those phrases? How do we continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him? Look at verse 13 of Romans 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Jump down to verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and the mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blesses the man that does not condemn himself by what he approves. You notice in verse 14, Paul's talking as one everything we're doing in the Lord Jesus. And he says, if you're thinking that way, then verse 20 is your principle. Do not destroy the work of God. I like the Holman Christian Standard Bible for that word. It says, do not tear down God's work. That's what that word destroy here means. What does God expect of me? He expects me to stop tearing down his work. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I don't tear down God's work. Well, let me ask you a question. Who does God do most of his work through? People. You notice all these verses have to do with getting along with others, people? Have you figured that out? That that's who God chooses to do his work through? Well, what do I do that tears down his work through other people? It really started back in verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak. Why? Because of verse 3. For God has accepted him. Look over in chapter 15, verse 7 of Romans. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Well, what tears down God's work? I refuse to accept others that Christ has accepted in him. There are other believers I will not treat as a brother and sister in Christ. And I say, God doesn't work through them. Really? It means you're tearing down God's work. You look at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. What tears down God's work? I refuse to stop passing judgment. Now, again, we're not talking about sin in this chapter, right? We have to judge sin. We're talking about our tendency is to judge people. We judge their motives. We judge their heart. We judge their actions. We judge their methods. And we say, God can't work that way through somebody else, really? Stop tearing down his work. Also in verse 13, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. We tear down God's work and we refuse to avoid what causes spiritual problems for others. 
Have you figured out we give each other fits? And we do it on purpose? And have you ever thought that stops God's work through them when we keep doing stuff that we know drives them nuts? God says, I expect you to stop putting stumbling blocks in other believers' way. Let me work through them. Look at verse 4, or verse 15, sorry. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. What tears down God's work? I refuse to act in love. I refuse to put their needs before mine. And by doing that, notice what I do in that in verse 15. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. He's in him. And the word destroy there is not the same word destroy in verse 20 that's tear down. This is a word that means ruin. Or some will say discredit. I'm trying to discredit what God does in him because I'm not going to put his desires before mine. I won't show love. And how many times do we basically ruin other believers because we won't act in love? Or how about verse 19? Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So we refuse to strive for peace. We refuse to build up other people. Instead, we'd rather tear them down, take cheap shots. And you realize we do all these things for what's in us for our preferences, for our ideas, for our opinions, because we think our way is the best. And and so when we insist on those, we are living in us, not in him. Is it reasonable for God to say, if I'm working, stop trying to tear it down through other people? And think this morning, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will help you, who you've been tearing down in the body of Christ that you shouldn't have been. Third, how do we get built up in Christ, built up in him, live in him? Well, we know we're supposed to serve, right? Does God expect us to serve? You're all shaking your head yes. Yeah, he does. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And just like the expectations we saw at the beginning, where we think God's expectations are too big, we tend to think service is always something big. We got all these flags from the missionary conference up here, right? Some of you are scared to death to come to missionary conference because you think God's going to make me go to Africa. Because he expects some big thing for me to do. That's what he wants in service. He always wants big things. Really? Look at verses 17 and 18. We skip those. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Notice that phrase, anyone who serves Christ in this way. What way is he talking about? What's he been talking about? Food and drink. Or not having food and drink. That's all he's been talking about. Normal, everyday things. You realize God expects us just to serve him in normal, everyday things? Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter 1, what they serve God in? Food and drink. 
refused to eat the food and drink the Babylonians? At the feeding of the 5,000, what did the little boy serve Christ in? Lunch. The boy David, he served God with a slingshot. The widow threw in a mite on her daily... See, we tend to look at service. Service is always some big thing. No, the expectation is you serve God in everyday things, everyday occurrences. And in doing those everyday things, you show, verse 17, righteousness, peace, and joy. What normal everyday things have you served God in this morning? And in doing so, you've shown righteousness, peace, and joy in doing it? Most of you know Luke 16.10. Who can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. You realize the big service thing might come later, but that's not God's expectation. It's serving the little things first. Then you can handle the bigger things later if I decide to let you have them. Can we serve God in normal everyday things? Normal everyday courtesies? Yeah, it's not unreasonable, is it? Well, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, not in yourself. And then the phrase, strengthened in the faith. Let's try to figure out this phrase. God expects us to be strengthened in the faith. Let's take the faith part first. Look at verse 23 of chapter 14. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Well, there you go. God determines he wants big faith. He expects big faith in everything, right? Well, then why do we have Matthew 17, 20? I tell you the truth, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Well, how big a faith does God expect? At least a little bit. We tend to think we've got to be a giant of the faith. No, you don't. You've got to at least have a little bit. That's his expectation. Well, what shows faith just a little bit? Let's review a couple things this morning. Hebrews 11 says, realizing his presence. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you believe he exists here. You sang a, a song this morning that said, Jesus is here. You believe that? Have you sought God at all this morning? Bill was up here praying. What were you doing? Did you seek God at all? Did you realize you were here praying to God? That's what I mean. Did you show even a little bit of faith this morning in who God was and where God is? Is that reasonable for God to expect if he gives us faith to exhibit that we believe he's actually here? Acknowledge his presence? What do you like when somebody ignores you when you're around? You don't appreciate that very much, do you? Well, how about this? Reveal what you know about him. Remember James talks about you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. Is faith just what we say we believe? No. Your faith in God and his word is only shown by what you do. How do you know, have, how do you, know you have faith in this pew that you're sitting in? How do you know you have faith in it? You're sitting in it. You did some action that proved 
you believed that pew would hold you up. Well, what actions this morning, every day, even a little bit, prove that you believe in God and His Word? Is that a reasonable expectation for God to expect that I demonstrate I believe something about Him and make an action because of that? Or how about this one? 2 Corinthians 4 said it's written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. What shows faith? Repeat what you believe about him. When's the last time you spoke anything in normal conversation to anybody about your faith? Just a little bit. See, we tend to think, I've got to be able to do a whole full gospel presentation, and I've got to be able to have 14 verses. And we don't understand that's not God's expectation. If he allows us to do that, that's great. But he expects us to reveal our faith even just a little bit in normal, everyday talking. How are you doing with showing your faith just a little bit? Any of what you believe about God and what you believe about his word. Well, the other half of this is strengthened in the faith, right? God expects us to be strengthened in the faith. That doesn't mean he expects us to have gigantic faith. That's not going to happen, probably. But the faith we do have, he expects us to be strengthened in it. Look at chapter 15, 1 to 3 in Romans. We who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. We who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak. So does God expect us to be strong Christians? The answer is, yeah. And then we think, well, what does that look like? And then those expectation verses come up, right? Like Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And we go, wait a minute, I don't look like that. I'm not sure that's possible, really. You realize we have wrong ideas about what it means to be a strong Christian? Let me give you three. We tend to think strong Christian is shown by how we look. If we look strong or if we look spiritual, that's what God wants. He wants us to look like we're strong Christians, right? Does that work in reality? I mean, if I go stand by the piano, as long as I look strong, you think I can lift the piano, right? i got to do a flex. And then you think, hey, as long as I look like I can lift the piano, therefore, that must be enough, right? And we get so caught up in looks, thinking i got to look a certain way, and spiritual, strong Christians look a certain way, and then God says, hey, guess what? You guys look on the outward appearance. I'm not. I'm looking at the heart. It's something about the inside. To have talents, to have abilities, to look good, to be able to stand up front. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a strong Christian, that you're strong in the faith, that you're strengthened in the faith. That has nothing to do with it. So it's not anything to do with looks, appearances. Well, here's the second thing we tend to think about being strong in the Lord. We tend to think, this is a long shot. 
that being a strong Christian is really the exception, not the rule. It's only for real spiritual Christians. And since I can't be that way, I have no shot at being strong in the Lord, so I don't have to worry about it. Well, is it a long shot? Keep something in here in Romans 14, because we'll be right back. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, familiar chapter for most of us, familiar verses. Is being strong in the Lord, is being strengthened in the faith an exception? Or is it something all of us can have? Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know, have you not heard... The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Is being a strong Christian only for a select few Or can everybody have it? Everybody can have it. Go back to Romans 14. Here's another phrase, wrong idea about being strong in the Lord, and it's the two words, less dependent. Now, if I ask, who's the strongest person here? Anybody want to take a shot? Nobody wants to raise their hand. Chickens. Who can come up here and lift this piano? Anybody? By the way, you laugh, but we had a guy in Ohio. When we were moving somebody, this was a guy we always wanted to have. He would literally strap refrigerators to his back and take them to the truck. He would pick up the washing machine and just carry it up the stairs. He was that strong. And we tend to think that's what God wants with strong Christians. He wants people who are less dependent on him, people who can do it all themselves, people who need him less and less, and we can do it more and more. Is that what God wants? Or we think, if I can do anything spiritual on my own, I must be getting stronger as a Christian. Is that what God wants? If I can do anything spiritual without God's help, I'm not a strong Christian. Why? How does God define a strong Christian? He says this to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then the Apostle Paul says, When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And by the way, that weakness is not the same as we just read here in chapter 15, verse 1, that weak. This weakness, where you're dependent on God, shows faith in God. Faith in who does it. And we're talking about being a strong Christian. We're not talking about being less dependent on God. We're talking about being more dependent on God. Can all of us be more dependent on God? Yeah. Well, how can we do this? This is important. We want to get strengthened in the faith. How do we meet this expectation that God has? Well, here in chapter 15, 1 to 3, we've gotten the first way. We were strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good. How do you become a strong Christian? 
And how do you demonstrate strength in the faith? You please others more than you please yourselves. How does that demonstrate faith? Because then I'm showing that if I'm doing what others need first, I trust God to take care of my needs. And the more I please others, the more I figure out God can take care of my, feet and my needs. So my faith gets strengthened more and more as I keep doing this. Quit spending all your time pleasing yourself. We who are strong ought to be pleasing others and not ourselves. That's how you get strengthened in the faith. Look at verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Our verse in Colossians 2 said, to be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Well, now we have a verse talking about what was written, and now we have a verse talking about what was taught. Proverbs 24 says this, A wise man has great power. Ecclesiastes 7 says, Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. By the way, question, is there a wise way to lift that piano? Yeah, let somebody else do it. Just shake your head that way. Piano lifts, piano carts. Isn't it amazing there are wise ways to do that? Is there a wise way to live out our spiritual lives, to live out our faith? Where do we find it? You pursue wisdom. Proverbs 4, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, correction, reproof, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. How strong do I have to get to be wise? Strong enough to open this. That's it. Strong enough to open this and use God's wisdom and shows I have faith that God knows a better way than I do. Doesn't take very much strength, does it? And when I use God's wisdom, I get strengthened in the faith. Look at verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Question, could we lift this piano if enough of us came up around it and lifted it together? So you, with a spirit of unity among yourselves, how do I strengthen my faith? It's partnership. Now, one of those facets we've already talked about, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so first our partnership with Christ strengthens our faith. I can do all things through him, through Christ who gives me strength. That's the first partnership that I need. But you realize there's a second one? It's the one with other believers? Again, stick something here. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You realize God gives us other believers in the body to strengthen our faith, to do it together? Ephesians 4.11, it was he, God, 
who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You realize you need to join with a local body because God puts us in the body to strengthen each other's faith? Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That's where the strength comes in when you're partnered. By the way, is the strength in the body? I don't need God if I have the body. The answer is no. The strength is the God who put the body together. Look back at Romans 15.30. God wants us to support each other in the faith and strengthen each other. And in 15 verse 30 in Romans, Paul says this, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of his spirit, the Spirit, join me in my struggle. There you go. Join me in my struggle. That's partnership. Being strengthened in the faith. Are we joining together and helping each other be what God wants us to be? That's why he put us together. What's the fourth way going to be? Keep reading here in verse 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. The Apostle Paul shows his dependence on prayer, doesn't he? By the way, can any of you lift this piano without touching it? No, God can. We had our verse in Matthew 17, didn't we? If I have prayer, or faith as grain of mustard seed, I say to this mountain, move from here to there, and God wants us to move, what's going to happen? That mountain's moving. Remember the disciples couldn't cast out a demon? And Jesus comes back and has to do the job for them in Mark chapter 2, and they ask him, how come we didn't have the strength to cast it out? What did Jesus tell them? This kind only comes out by prayer. You forgot what you should have been dependent on. You want to be strengthened in the faith? Grow in your prayer life. Because our strength is not in our faith that's strong. It's in the God behind our faith. And when we pray, we demonstrate that who we understand the strength comes from. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay, clay pots, to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You want to be strengthened in the faith? Pray more. And watch God work. Question. Can all of us get strengthened in the faith? Can we decide to please others first, pursue God's wisdom and his word, partner we have with Christ, partner with other believers, and focus on prayer? And if we can do that, and that strengthens our faith, 
That's a reasonable expectation, isn't it? So what does God expect? He expects us to submit to his ownership, to stop tearing down his work through others, to serve in everyday things, to be strengthened in the faith, but he's not quite done. And overflowing with thankfulness. Look back at Romans 14, verse 6. We've seen this a little bit when we read the first few verses. Verse 6 says, He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does to the Lord, he gives thanks to God. Well, that sounds nice and trite a little bit, but they do give thanks. But our verse says, overflowing with thankfulness. Well, what do I have to show thankfulness that's overflowing? Just look at our list. Should I be thankful that God owns me and bought me with a price? Should I be thankful that he chooses to work through me as an individual? Should I be thankful that he allows me to serve him in everyday things? That he strengthens me and strengthens my faith and gives me faith? Well, how does that show up in my thanksgiving to God? Look at chapter 15, verse 8. Look at the, these... Oh, do you think... Uh, Paul's trying to say we should be a little thankful here, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How's your thankfulness been this morning? As opposed to your complaining. If God gives us all these things and does all these things for us and takes care of all these things for us, should he expect us to be a thankful people? Well, are God's expectations of us unreasonable? Or pretty reasonable? Pretty reasonable, aren't they? And I would encourage you this morning, if the Holy Spirit has grabbed one of these and said, you know, you've kind of been slipping in this one, that you do something with it today. That you show God, I want to show you my faith in you and your word now. Even by some little goofy thing that shows I believe what you just told me. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, you are a faithful God. And what you call us to, you then say you will do through us. If we'll just focus on you, focus on your word, submit to your authority, listen to your Holy Spirit, and we'll do things every day that please you and honor you and glorify you in a way that you expect. Will you help us this morning not to try to cover things over, but to be honest with you and maybe honest with others that we may have to make right some things, but help us to do everything that pleases you.
We pray this in your name. Amen. Please take out your hymnals and please open up to hymn number 405. And let's stand and let's sing together. My faith has found a resting place. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.